Happy Mother's Day. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Glad that you're here. Hopefully, you can be actually here in person very soon. We'd love to see you. Welcome to our guests. And again, remind you, uh, stick around after the service if you want to have a free family photo taken, just right across the hall there in meeting room B, just commemorate the day. It's also another day for celebration because it looks like uh, we're getting close to the impending overturning of Roe versus Wade, which we've been praying for and waiting for for 49 years. So that is awesome news. And of course, it doesn't mean it's illegal. It just means it goes back to the state. So there's still a lot of praying left to do that people's hearts would be changed and their eyes would be open to see the value of every single human life created in the image of God. But boy, that is really good news to be able to celebrate. Uh, but this may be a day that's hard for you, actually. It's not a lot of celebrating going on in your home because uh, you've experienced loss, maybe of a preborn child, maybe of um, an adult child. I know in our church we've had past couple weeks some, some losses. A couple of mothers here have lost adult children tragically, one through medical conditions and the other through a motorcycle accident. Others of you are experiencing loss of, of parents. I mean, in, in our own family, Penny and I have had a rough past couple of years on a lot of different fronts family-wise, especially for her, uh, losing her mother last year and then uh, just recently losing her father as well. We uh, just came back from Indianapolis this past week because actually my father, who I lost several years ago, though, was being honored um, as a, a fallen deputy by the Indianapolis uh, Marion County Deputy Sheriffs for being one of the fallen heroes. Uh, you know, he was 1968 in a car crash when I was very young and uh, just was disabled for the rest of his life until uh, he succumbed to those injuries. But I think back to how, you know, I came into this world as an unwanted child. You know, he, he impregnated an 18-year-old girl and they had to get married and she couldn't handle it. So she left when I was still a baby. And so my dad was raising me on his own and got remarried and impregnated her. She was only 20 years old. And then he had his accident and uh, she gave birth to a baby about a month later. And not only had to care for this new baby and for me, but for her husband now is kind of a, you know, a grown baby. He couldn't do anything for himself. And she eventually left him as well, which, you know, caused a whole bunch of issues in, in my life and our family's life. And really, it was very upset with her and uh, resentful over the way that she left. But, you know, as I get older, I begin to think about how much even she had to go through as this young mother and, and all that uh, was on her plate. It, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. So uh, this can be a tough day, but I'm, I'm hoping it will get a little bit better as we talk about how to treat one another. You know, last week we talked about uh, doing all things without complaining and arguing. How'd you make it on the seven-day challenge? Did you, did you do that? Uh, you know, did you get to say, that's whack? Anybody say, that's whack? My wife came close a couple times with me, but uh, she probably wisely <laughs> just let me stew on it myself for a little bit. Uh, but we're trying to get better in how we treat one another because as Christians, that's what we're called to do, to treat one another as Jesus would. So if you're not a believer today... Uh, I would still encourage you to stay tuned in. Try out what we're talking about. Go ahead, give it a shot. See if it works. I think you'll find that it does. Today we're talking more about what Jesus said in Mark chapter 9. He says, be at peace with one another. And then later the Apostle Paul adds, live in harmony with one another. Okay, so does that sound like your home? Is it a peaceful, harmonious, kind place to be? Uh, home ought to be a happy place, don't you think? It ought to be a place of refuge 
from all the negativity and nastiness out there. It ought to be a safe harbor uh, from the surrounding storms. It ought to be a haven away from the heartless world, a, a fortress in the midst of all the psychological and spiritual battlefields we find ourselves in. It ought to be an oasis from the dry desert of discouragement that we're constantly in. An oasis is a place of refreshment, right? In, in the midst of a harsh environment, and the world is always beating us up, especially our kids. And so when we come home, we, we want to find a place of healing, that it's a nice, relaxing resort. But too often, home only makes it worse, adds to the tension and stress. The world's out there trying to pull us apart. The family's supposed to pull us back together, but it's so often not that way. Instead, it becomes this dumping ground of hostilities where we take out our aggressions on one another. We bring home from school, we bring home from work, and, and we have all these hostilities built up within us and this kind of a swamp of bubbling up reserved resentments and turns into these big blow-ups of anger and aggravation. And you, you, you're trying to build a happy home, but you feel like a failure because it's, it's not the fulfilling place of emotional um, happiness that you envisioned it to be. Instead, it's become just this place of irritation, of... Uh, disappointment with one another. So what's the secret then? How do you have that kind of happy home? Well, maybe if you became wealthy and beautiful and successful, you'd have a happy home, right? That works. Just ask Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, right? They know. I mean, you've seen that, right? Just miserable. They've got everything the world says you need to have to be happy. And it doesn't work. I mean, it's a miserable place. So what's the secret? Well, I think it can be as simple as deciding to be a happy family, that it's an intentional decision that you make because it's not going to happen naturally on its own. Like if this happens and that happens, we get this and we're... It's going to take some effort to make this happen because our natural default is selfishness. And family is all about selflessness. If we're pursuing personal fulfillment at the expense of our family, that's going to lead to more misery. So this is even more true as Christians because here's what we're commanded in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus. See, that's what our homes are supposed to look like. And it's a choice that we make to have the right mind, the, right, the mind of Jesus, the right attitudes. Because you can't control what everybody else in your family does or says. And you can't control your circumstances. There are always going to be unforeseen problems and unexpected turns that you have no control over. But what you can control is your reactions and responses. And that you can choose to rise above your circumstances and have a different attitude. Now, nobody's saying that you're going to have an idyllic family, all right? Let's be realistic about this. But you can get better. And certainly, there are some families that are going to be marked by some pretty severe dysfunction. 
But for most of us, what I'm saying is that you do what you can to make your home a grace place. I was going to say a happy place because we all talk about want to go to want to go to my happy place. And ideally, that would be your home. But happiness is so often dependent on what everybody else is doing and whatever circumstances we're going through. We're talking about something more than happiness. We're talking about a, a reaction of grace. Because you think about two different families experience the same kind of situations and they react very differently. Why? Because they've made different choices on how they're going to react to those things. One family says we're going to react to this with selfishness, with self-centeredness. The other one says we're going to be selfless. We're going to default to grace in all this which means I got to take on the mind of Christ. I got to choose. I got to bend my will to do what God commands. And the good news is, is that as a Christian, you're able to do this because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have a supernatural strength you didn't have BC before Christ. God's Spirit is changing you from the inside out, renewing your heart, transforming your mind, which results in the right attitudes, what Scripture would call the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit produces these Christ-like qualities in you as you learn to submit to him. They're listed for us in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does that sound like your home? Well, you have self-control, so you should be able to do this, right? But what we're going to focus on today are these attitudes on how to treat one another with patience and peace, and kindness, gentleness, and goodness. And guys, I can guarantee you, if you will focus on those Christ-like qualities, you will have a happy home. You will have an oasis. All right, so right now your family may be upset with all kinds of anxiety and anger and aggravation, but we're going to learn how to be more calm, cool, and collected as we give control to the Spirit, all right? So first is peace. And the biblical idea of peace comes from a Hebrew word in the Old Testament, shalom. It's used today still as a Jewish greeting, shalom. And it means not just the absence of conflict and turmoil. It, it means the actual well-being of your soul, that, that all is well with my soul, a serenity of soul. Um, it's really the kind of peace that Jesus promises in John 14. He says, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Mine is better, mine is different. It's not this temporary, fragile peace. No, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I can give you a supernatural peace instead of a superficial peace that comes from sniffing aromatherapy candles while chanting mantras and listening to new age music. I mean, that's okay for a while, but it's not very lasting and it's not very deep. You can have supernatural peace even when you're going through turmoil and pressure. Now you think about on the night Jesus is being betrayed, he's being arrested. He foretells to his disciples, here's all the trouble that you're going to go through. Be ready for this. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And the world, you will have tribula tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So if you want to have real peace, it begins with God. It comes from God. He is the God of peace. And you can't really have inner peace or peace with others until you have peace with God. See, because of our attitudes, we made ourselves enemies of God by our rebellion, our sin. We started this war with God in conflict. But Jesus brings a peace treaty signed in his blood on the cross. 
which reconciles us back to God. And his peace begins to flood through our lives, bringing us inner peace, peace of mind, which floods over into our relationships, serenity. Jesus provides pardon. That's something the world hasn't experienced. And I, look, non-believers know how to be civil. They know how to be polite. But I think God wants us to take it up a notch from there and work for genuine, authentic peace. Because until we're forgiven, we're not going to really experience that. Peace comes from a clear conscience with God. So you get that peace with God, and then you're able to have the peace of God in the way you treat everybody else. Maybe you're thinking, well, that sounds good, but I'm experiencing so many problems with people right now. The best thing I can do to get rid of my problems is just to get rid of the people. If I could just get rid of my husband, get rid of my wife, get rid of my kids, get rid of my parents, get rid of my neighbors, get rid of my boss, then I'll have peace. True enough, you might, but there's still going to be people in your life. <laughs> there's going to be people in the world. That's not how you get rid of, of your problems, really. It's got to come from you, the peace that God gives you. Then no matter who's in your life, you're able to focus your thoughts on what God wants you to do, on his promises in his word. And, and guys, I got to tell you, I think if we really absorb that promise, that half the psychiatrists would go out of business because people are messed up because of this lack of peace. They, they don't know how to deal with people. This goes deeper than emotions. It's not just something you feel. This is something beyond that, something where you're, God is doing a work in you and you've asked God for the sense of his presence. It comes from prayer. Oh, God, I can't do this on my own. Will you give me peace? And he begins to work that peace in you. Now, that prayer may not change your situation at all, but that prayer will change you. Get your head in the right place. Get your focus on the right place. So now you're able to do what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. Be at peace among yourselves. That's a command. As Christians, we don't have the option to, to, to go back to arguing and complaining and griping about stuff. We need to be even-tempered. Doesn't mean we don't get upset. Again, being upset is just a feeling. Feelings are okay. It's what you do with those feelings. Instead of taking those feelings out on others, you take them to the Lord. You bring them before him and let him deal with your feelings. God, help me to change my feelings so that, you know, you're able to have this overflowing peace with others. Because, look, you can't change other people, right? Which is why I love this verse in Romans 8 so much. Romans chapter 12, rather. Romans 8, 28 is my favorite, you know. God works all things for the good. That's a memorable one, but so is this. You need to latch onto this. That's why I'm going to have you say it out loud together with me. You ready? Romans 12, 18. If possible, <laughs> stop, if possible, okay, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let's say that one again. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Not everybody wants peace, isn't that true? You can't change that. But if it's possible... And as much as you can do, work for peace. Maybe that means hard work, taking the initiative, going to somebody you're having conflict with. Maybe it means apologizing for your part of the problem. Maybe it means forgiving them for something that they've done. But the old King James Version puts it this way, calls peace long-suffering, which I think is so much more descriptive. Long-suffering means you suffer long. <laughs> I'm, su I'm putting up with your nonsense, right, with... 
your dysfunction, with your meanness, with your failures and your flaws and faults. I'm just going to suffer along with that. Put up with it. And that requires patience, right? Anything you've got to suffer a long time with takes a lot of patience. Why did God put us in downriver? To teach us patience because of all the railroad tracks. You have to learn patience if you want to live here or you will go insane. But when you have a heart that's at peace, you can pretty much put up with just about anything. Uh, is your home an oasis of patience in a world of impatience? Because we find ourselves impatient so often with the people closest to us, impatient with our husband or wife, or our kids, or our brothers or sisters, our parents. We get impatient with God. God says, be patient with them all. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Well, who's that most difficult <laughs> to do with? It's your family. Being patient with them. But again, you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Got a supernatural strength when all those irritations and aggravations come around. I remember, okay, God's patient with me. After all the stuff that I've done to him, if he can put up with me, I can put up with them. I can, be, I can, I can at least do what Ephesians 4, 2, and 3 say. With patience, bearing with. Bearing with. I mean, putting up with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So love is Patient. And we learn patience through focusing on God's presence and how patient he's been with me. I'm able to focus on others' needs, see them through his eyes, his perspective, not let them push my buttons or promote, provoke me uh, to, to, to evil. I'm not going to return evil for evil. I'm, I'm not going to let my temper get the best of me because I can control all that now. I've got... I've got God's grace and peace in my life. And see, that's what the New Testament does. It adds to that Hebrew greeting of shalom, peace, and adds grace. That's how Paul starts so many of his letters. Grace and peace to you. Grace means we are treated not as we deserve, better than we deserved. And so that means we can be gracious to others. Treat them not as they deserve, but better than they deserve. Again, this is more than just being nice. Being pleasant. Anybody can be agreeable and inoffensive, right? And, and, but he, this is talking about a quality of life that is able to treat people way better than they deserve. Because God did that to us. I mean, a strong family is, is gentle. That's another one of these qualities, these fruit, is gentleness with one another. Now, we tend to think of gentleness as being the opposite of strength. I thought you wanted us to be a strong family. Yes, through gentleness. Well, think of it more as strength under control. You can be a strong person, but have it under control. That's what Scripture calls meekness. Was well, it meekness, weakness? No. It's getting it under control. But we live in a hard world. You've got to toughen up. You've got to be hard sometimes. You've got to be harsh. No, you don't. You don't have to respond treat them the way that they treat you. I think wives and mothers are a lot better being gentle. But even women can sometimes assert themselves in a very brash, um, abrasive, kind of uh, assertive way that, that turns into being harsh. 
right? And you don't have to do that because a woman who knows who she is in Christ is self-confident enough to bring it under control, right? To do what Peter says, that you would have the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. That's what we aim for. And I think women are better at that because men, dads, husbands, we get this thought in our mind like, well, no, I got to be hard. I mean, if we're, if we're going to if we're going to make it out there in the world, I got to be intimidating. I got to be dominating. I got to maybe even a little bit of bullying. That, that'll make me a strong man. But who's really strong? Is it the man who, who unleashes his aggression on other people? Who's not able to keep his temper under control? Is that strength? No, that's easy. It's easy to give in to all those feelings. Anybody can do that. How about the man who's able to bring it under control? Who's able to stay even-tempered, tranquil, and assured of his strength in the midst of all that. That's hard to do. That, that's tough. We don't have to demand like the rest of the world, be domineering like that. Neither does that mean we, we become a doormat, let people walk all over us. But here's what we do, Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do people see you that way? I mean, Jesus was a gentle man. Jesus is our example of meekness. You say, well, he was weak. Are you kidding me? Have you read the Bible? Have you seen everything Jesus had to put up with? All that he had to do? You think that man was weak? You're kidding yourself. This was a man who had the strength of God, but kept it under control. I mean, that word gentle is also used for taming horses. You'd have a wild stallion. If you're able to, to break it and tame it, that horse still has all the power it had when it was wild, but now it's under control. Now it's useful. Now it can be channeled for good purposes for the master. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He brings all that strength under control so we're useful to God. It's harnessed for good. Very similar to gentleness is kindness. Just being a kind person, compassionate instead of callous, considerate instead of insensitive, uh, sympathetic instead of abrasive, oblivious, courteous instead of inconsiderate. God tells us, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. When people call you tender-hearted, you, you, if you get a good cut of meat sometimes, you've got to tenderize it. Well, what do you use to tenderize meat? You get out one of those hammers with the spiky ends and you beat the snot out of it, right? That's how you make it tender. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has to beat the snot out of you to, to soften up your tough heart. All right, that's not a pleasant thing to go through, but it's necessary. If he's going to help you to be more like Jesus and be sensitive to people who are struggling, who are weak, who are of little faith, who are hurting, that's what Jesus did. He harnessed his strength for the good of others. He was a kind man. The Spirit sometimes got to get out the sandpaper and, you know, buff off those rough edges from your character so you don't rub people the wrong way. Again, Jesus is our model. We treat others as he treated them. How many problems do we have in our families, in our church families, simply for a lack of kindness? If we just treated each other with, with a little bit more kindness, but we find it easier to be kind to strangers than to our own family, right, than people closest to us. We're, we're, we, became, we can be more kind to the neighbor kids than our own kids sometimes. Right? So we need to get that renewed heart of Jesus for our wife, our husband, our kids, our parents, brothers and sisters. Because God is first kind to us. 
Love is kind, and he shows it to the most undeserving people. And again, it's not a feeling. You don't have to feel kind to be kind. You act kind, and ideally the feelings will follow that. Your heart begins to change. And your family needs to be able to count on your kindness, whether you feel kind or not. They don't need a moody parent. Like, what kind of mood is mom going to be in today? What kind of dad am I going to get today? You never know. Or what's my spouse going to be like today? They need to be able to count on you to be even keeled, even tempered, not on a roller coaster of emotions, but that, that you're able to respond with kindness always. And finally, there's goodness which is acting for the good of others, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. Because that's what God did for us. We didn't deserve his goodness, but that's how he treats us. In fact, Acts chapter 10 says Jesus went around doing good, helping, healing, serving people. Would people say that you go about doing good? When they see you walk into the room, do they go, oh, good. None of us is is truly good. Only God is ultimately good. Why? Because we have sin in our lives. We have self-centeredness in our lives. In fact, we have trouble not only not doing bad things, we have trouble not doing good things. Paul struggled with this as a Christian. In Romans 7, he says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So even as a Christian, you're going to struggle with doing good. But again, you've got a strength. God's strength is in you. God planned for you to do good works. We're not saved by them, but we're saved for them. So we do good to our families first, and we do good to our friends and our fellow believers, and finally, to everyone else, Galatians 6. So then, as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that starts in your very own household. But again, that's not the real test of goodness, because even unbelievers know to do good to people who do good to them, to return good for good. We're taking it up a notch. Because remember, the way that God produces fruit in our lives is to put us in exactly the opposite kind of situations. If you want to learn to love, he doesn't put you with lovely people. He puts you with unlovable people. That's how you learn it. You want to learn to be patient? Well, he's going to put you in line at the DMV. You're going to sit in a few waiting rooms to learn patience. You want to learn how to be a, 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 a gracious person? Then he's going to put you around people that treat you like an enemy. That's how you learn it. You know, Jesus makes us way better than just nice and polite. He makes us gracious as he is so we can treat others with gentleness and kindness and goodness to do what you can to make your home a grace place. Now, ultimately, again, only God is good. But even if we do the best we can, It's never going to be good enough. Never mistake being saved by goodness for being saved for goodness. You will never be good enough to deserve or merit heaven. That's why you need a savior. None of us is perfect, but God saves us by grace, through faith, in baptism, for good works so that we can do the good that he's planned for us. Jesus didn't come just to make bad people good and good people better. He came to make dead people live. And maybe that's what you need today. You need to have him come in and change your heart, change your life, bring a resurrection about. 
And if you're having your own personal struggles, family turmoil, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart for a change. His graciousness can change you into a harmonious, happier person who treats others way better. It flows over. So today, you may need to repent of your sin, to let him break you down right now, to tame you so that you can be of use to him, to be baptized into Christ right now because we've got towels and clothes and robes. We've got warm water right back there. Take that dunk today and start a new life. Put your family on a new path. You can reach out to us if you're online or, or uh, you want to just right here, text us or email us. We'll get back to you right away on helping you make the best decision of your life. But even better, if you're here on site, just come down in the next few moments when the music is playing. Talk with the people who are waiting down here to answer your questions or to pray with you or to get you ready to take your next step. Maybe your next step is simply just to come back for the next couple of weeks in this series on Strong Families. If you're a believer, your next step, your response right now can be to share in communion. When you come in, you get a communion kit with the bread and the cup. If you're not a believer, use this time to think, reflect, text, email, <laughs> reach out to us, help, let us help you with these things. But let's now focus on the grace and peace that Jesus offered through his death on the cross and his resurrection. And let's use this time to reflect through this, this prayer time right now. Lord, uh, we want to thank you for your grace and your peace through Jesus, for your mercy, not giving us what we deserve, but treating us way better than we deserve, God. Help us to see people through your eyes, to treat them the way you treat us. God, that you would sand off the rough edges uh, of our attitudes and the abrasive and abusive ways we can sometimes be and, and talk to one another. Holy Spirit, would you tame us, make us useful to you? We want to walk in, in your peace and, and uh, practice your patience. God, there, there are families that are struggling right now. There are souls that are troubled. We pray that you would calm them, that you would bring healing. People are trying to be kind, trying to be good, but no matter how hard they try, they're still falling short and they just can't do it in their own strength. So, Lord, help them to turn to you. That's why you sent your son, because only you are truly good. And move everybody who, who needs to to receive that grace today through Jesus and who need peace with you, that you, they put their trust in Jesus and commit their lives to you. Thank you for patiently waiting for us to turn to you. God, we're, thank you that, you're, you're, that you're, you're hopefully bringing now an end to abortion uh, in this country, Father, and yet we know it's more than a legal issue. This is a heart issue, God, and we pray that everyone will begin to see one another with your eyes with the value that you place on each and every life, that we would love one another uh, because we are made in your image and loved by you and that we matter to one another because we first matter to you. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.